Marty. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks for joining. Let me just do a little introduction and we'll get started. So welcome, doke. Welcome to Fired Up Friday. Uh, I'm Gerard Papa, Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt and Principal Consultant at Dynamic Resolutions Group. And today I have joining me my friend Marty De Silva. We're going to talk about ageism in the workplace, which I think both of us, uh, the reason why we wanted to do this is because we actually have personal experience with it. And I think anytime you talk about something that you've experienced personally or friends of yours, I think you can talk a little bit more passionately about it. So I think uh, if you can introduce yourself and then we can start. Hi, Gerard. Good morning and good afternoon. You can tell I'm, I'm having one of those days where I've actually said good morning rather than afternoon when it's actually evening. Uh, my name is Marty De Silva. I am both a leadership coach and an HR professional. Uh, I got my leadership coaching certification uh, a few years ago at Georgetown University and hold a professional coaching certification. I also have a certification um, as a senior HR leader. I am especially passionate about enabling individuals' uh, success in organizations, helping them navigate uh, the various paths to getting success, um, enabling them to be better advocates for themselves and to make those important uh, mindset shifts that I think are necessary um, when making promotional jumps into leadership. And uh, I'm thrilled to be on this call this afternoon. So I, again, I really appreciate it. And, you know, we had talked about this. I thought this was a great idea for, for both of us uh, just to talk a little bit about ageism and then we can get into some of our personal experiences, but really, and I didn't know this until, until I did some research about the actual origin of this. This term was coined uh, by Dr. Robert Butler in 1968 uh, to describe this systematic stereotyping of and discrimination against older people because they are old in much the same way as racism and sexism are responses to skin color and gender. So uh, the thing that we're probably going to focus the most on is institutional ageism which is defined as missions, rules, and practices that discriminate against individuals or groups because of their older age. And I think, again, both of us having seen this and, and seen others go through it uh, in the last couple of years, especially, I think to us, it's, it's more personal. Uh, I think one of the things that makes this also a, a great topic to discuss is the fact that people are living longer uh, the baby boomers are going to be working longer. Uh, our generation is going to be working longer. And I think this is only going to become even more important to address in the workplace. I completely agree. And I think one of the things that kicked this issue off for me personally, and then we'll talk about some of the uh, research that is out there. Um, when I left my last organization and found myself in a position of searching for my next great home. Um, I worked with a number of professionals who were in the recruiting business and got lots of counsel about how to position myself in a way that sort of seemed as old as I was. 
Um, and I've read, you know, articles about how to uh, age proof your resume. Um, people counseled me to uh, make sure that I excluded the dates of attendance at my college and graduate school to make sure that I um, uh, demonstrated that I had computer literacy, that um, my email account uh, was modern and contemporary, so using a Google Mail account rather than um, a more antiquated Hotmail or AOL account. So that was my first sort of introduction into, oh my goodness, I not only have to present my credentials and accomplishments, but I have to um, prove to potential recruiters and organizations that I, um, I'm actually a modern, contemporary, hip, younger person than my chronological, chronological um, years would suggest. And right. um, I was also really surprised that there was, um, at least with the career coaches and recruiters that I talked to, there was an acceptance that this is the reality of the work world and that my job was not to fight against the reality, but to cave to it. And uh, it highlighted something for me that I had not thought of before. I had been in the diversity and inclusion space in my last organization. I was very involved in issues around uh, promotion and retention of women promotion and retention of uh, people of different ethnic backgrounds and color. Uh, but the age diversity had not really been on my radar either, even as an HR person. And uh, the more we dig into it, the more disturbing the data is. Yeah, absolutely. Disturbing is a, actually disturbing is a great descriptor. And, um, you know, a couple of things that I was surprised about in looking at the research. Um, one is that we know that uh, there was a report done that, that suggested that 20 uh, percent of the workforce uh, is probably going to be 65 years of age and older. So, yeah, by 2030, by 2030. By 2030. And yeah, uh, that is not an insignificant number, uh, and um, I think that's only going to grow as people become become healthier and want to work longer, and also want to really build up their retirement. The other statistic that I thought was really um, enlightening was that in two thousand and four, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission reported that they received almost eighteen thousand complaints filed under the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, and that was not that far behind from complaints of uh, sex and race-based discrimination. Yeah. My, the, yeah. Other, the other reason, not to interrupt you, but the other reason why I think this topic is so important is it also shows, illustrates, how people make quick decisions based on criteria that has nothing to do with actual impact or productivity. So similar to the discussions uh, having about not only your age, but your race and people making conscious decisions not to call someone back because they have a Spanish speaking sounding name. 
Mm -hmm. right? Or someone who is shorter than someone else who has traditionally made less money than someone who's taller, which has nothing to do with, with your individual contribution. It gets to the root of basic human nature and how people make decisions, especially when they're deciding on who to call for an interview. I mean, you think it's objective, and you know my feeling about this. You think that whole process is objective and it's based on data, but it's not. It's not. It's based on people's biases and stereotypes. And I think the thing to also embrace as part of this conversation is to understand that all of us, including you and me, come to decisions with biases, preformed patterns yeah, based on absolutely. our own experiences. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I think our discussion is not about, you know, how do we act, ask people to get rid of their biases, but how do we enable people to understand, you know, I have a predisposition toward a certain kind of individual and I know it. And how can I test to pressure test myself to make sure that I'm making a decision that is as fact-based and evidence-based as I can. When I think about hiring an individual, when I think about even bringing somebody in to interview with, with my organization, how do I, how do I test knowing that I have this leading, whatever that bias is, how do I make sure that I uh, address that bias and, and account for it and make a decision that in fact is in the best interest of the organization and certainly in the best interest of the prospective candidate? Yeah, and I wish, that, I wish people would at least acknowledge that exists, right? I think most of the issues I have is that people won't even acknowledge that it's, that it's part of the dynamic. And that's where, that's where I get frustrated because I think if people would at least acknowledge that this is an uh, issue and it does play a role in decisions, then I think we can at least start taking some steps towards it. Uh, and I think people are not as willing to acknowledge that. Um, because you're right, biases do play. Ones that you and I have as well have always played, you know, played a role in our career. But I do think that it, that would help at least start the conversations with some of the, uh, with, you know, some of the solutions that have been thrown around. At least can start. And it's it's really interesting because we're living in a very heightened period of um, sensitivity in 2019. And I think everyone would agree that um, matters of inclusion and diversity are top of mind. And unfortunately, we haven't seen what what is included in that bucket are really important things in terms of closing the gender pay gap, of ensuring that um, applicants of color have access to the right kinds of jobs and organizations and, and seats in, in universities. But somehow in this dynamic, the age piece is the, um, the softer voice in the diversity and inclusion discussion. And I, we've, I think there are lots of opportunities for you and I to talk about how do we, how do we get, turn up the volume on age and make sure that it becomes part of this continuing and really important dialogue um, on yeah. diversity and inclusion. Yeah, and I, I agree. And you know what? It's it's funny because when you, you use the word 
you use that the term diversity and inclusion, which is which is something that is is starting to you know get, get some traction. And how much of that is ageism is discussed in that, which I think it should be included because that's exactly diversity issue, right, and inclusion issue. So uh, I think those are things that we can start talking about, especially since and there's a couple things you said earlier. You know, retirement age is going to be pushed out. I think more people are more willing now or, frankly, might have no choice but to work longer. And then I think if people live longer, their retirements aren't going to suffice for the period of, of how long they, you know, the, the longevity of their life. Because it's going to be It longer. is. And people want to also are healthier and they want to work. Yeah. And they want to work, right? You want to stay productive. You want to, you want to, you want to contribute to society i think uh that's the one thing too i think that gets overlooked is you want to make a contribution in some way shape or form right and work is a big part of our identity too i mean how much of your life and especially mine now do you identify with your, with uh, your job? so much uh, and it, yeah and being able to be a contributor and to make an impact and to be part of a community uh where you're you're putting something out there that's of a value and is valued. Uh, it, it's a really big deal. And, uh, you know, I think there are a couple of different opportunities in this discussion of how we can move the needle on, uh, I think, drawing greater attention to ageism and how we can help educate and hopefully uh, improve the experience of older workers who are trying to get into a new job or progress or to learn. I think there are a couple of really great uh, things for us to, to tee up in that conversation. Yes. Um, what so let me touch on, let me touch on again, another word that you use, which I think it gets overlooked is community. So it gives you a sense of community. If you think about it, because um, not only are you contributing in a team atmosphere, but you're part of a community and you're part of a, a group that is typically trying to accomplish the same thing. And I think there is a lot to be said because that, that has a motivational aspect to it. It has a social aspect to it that contributes to, to your happiness, you know, to your life. So I think that's a really big part of, of, uh, of an item that we need to, you know, kind of expand on is that community piece. Agreed. Too. Absolutely agreed. Uh, so one, so just taking a slight detour, one thing I want to sort of talk about as well. There's a really great uh, Harvard has Harvard as Harvard always does does a, a really um, a very interesting uh, bias test, um, and they I think it's called uh, implicit.org, and um, any any human being in in the world can get online and uh, take a series of tests that um, indicate sort of where their own biases lean towards. Um, I, I took this test, uh, it's very easy and it's sort of fun. I took it several years ago uh, and in full disclosure, I have, I have a bit of an age bias myself. Um, oh, so you I took it. it. You um, and okay, and awesome. so I have my own, you know, I have my own uh, barriers about um, older workers uh, that I, you know, I, I sort of, um, and perhaps it's my own feelings about myself in the workplace, but was surprised to find that I 
tended to lean towards um I was I was more inclined towards uh, youth than I was towards age, but I think the benefit of this test is it is a foolproof. Is it is it a perfect indicator? I am not sure. There's a lot of research out there that suggests that there might be some issues with that um, testing methodology. But I think one thing it really does is when you take it, you have an aha moment of, oh my goodness, yeah, it it, it tells you things about yourself that you don't. Uh, you sort of put in the back of your mind that you couldn't, I couldn't possibly believe that I as a middle-aged person might have an age bias against older people. And uh, this test sort of reminded me that, yeah, even I talking about this topic have some issues about, I have some, my, my own issues about ageism. Um, so I, you know, I highly recommend that people avail themselves. You that out to tell everyone. I'm sorry. Tell everyone the, the yeah. I, I I wish I could remember this from the top. It's okay. it's it's Harvard, and I think it's implicitbias.org or implicit.org. Um, okay. And it's Great. a uh, it's a really fun way of you know testing sort of your feelings about people in all dimensions of diversity and how you respond um, in in quick in quick ways. Uh, and one of the reasons why I, I like. I like you is because you're willing to examine yourself and looking at, looking at it as a learning opportunity and then willing to challenge yourself. There's not a lot of people that would do that, right? They would just tell themselves that they're not biased or they don't, they don't use those, uh, those things in decision-making. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we're friends is because you really do take this seriously and you do look at it as a way of, becoming a better person. So I think that's important to know. I think it's incredibly important for us to be able to be aware of our own uh, blind spots and, uh, you know, the shadow side of our own personality, even as a, uh, a professional who spends, has spent most of her career in the human resources or coaching domain to recognize that I have my, my shadow side as well. Um, it's called Project Implicit. Okay. And um, it uh, helps you to report on your attitudes or beliefs about these top topics. And I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for people to test their own assumptions about themselves. That's great. So you want to move to some ideas on how to address this? I would love to. Okay, so you want to start? Sure. So, you know, it's funny, I read in the literature, a lot of things that um, organizations can do to make uh, their their environments more age friendly. And when I read a lot of the ideas, I thought this is what what older workers want. It's no different than what, what every worker wants, which is opportunities to learn the chance to progress a sense of community, a sense of accomplishment, uh, flexibility. Uh, that is a big issue for everybody. I don't know that that yeah, is absolutely. particularly an issue for people who are older or younger. Uh, so I don't think the requests of organizations that they have to change their cultures drastically to accommodate the desires of an older worker because I don't see that they're terribly different from a younger worker. 
But I do think, you know, as an HR professional, one of the places that we can really make an impact is uh, in the recruiting and in the talent assessment conversations, at least asking the questions, how could I be wrong in my assessment of this potential candidate? What am I not seeing? Um, so definitively in the recruiting space, you know, making sure that uh, perhaps a second pair of eyes takes a look at the uh, resume of a candidate that we suspect we might want to put into the defer pile, uh, but we want to defer them because we think that person is quote unquote too experienced, which is code for being old right. and expensive. Uh, yeah. So getting another pair of eyes, another point of view that's different, that you know is different from yours. I think that's huge. Um, for HR managers who are sitting in rooms assessing talent and promotion opportunity, asking, you know, uh, uh, what's the basis for your conclusion about that employee? I mean, by the way, we should be doing this for all of our employees, but really making sure that the assessments are grounded in substantive evidence, not in a point of view that a person, you know, may not be up to traveling because that person is uh, middle-aged or that person, um, you know, may not be willing to work long hours because that person is middle-aged and is going to tire readily or that person can't turn on a computer or relate to younger people in the office. I think those are all assumptions that uh, really trip us up and get in the way of making right decisions about extending offers and, and promoting candidates. Yeah, I think, um, I think from the thought is, again, to touch on one of the things you said is expensive. You know, I'm curious when people are looking at resumes, you know, how much that really factors in. It is code for being older, but in organizations, are starting to think in, in some of the cutthroat organizations where they think, well, I can bring in someone just out of college uh, and pay them a lot less. Uh, is, is that a thought process that goes through people's minds so they can bring in a 25-year-old for far less because they don't want to deal with the monetary aspect of bringing someone in who has more experience? Mm -hmm. I think making that assumption is really dangerous. Um, you know, professional services, there tends to, in the world that I work, there tends to be a cadence of levels. And, you know, typically a recent college graduate starts out in an associate role or a consultant role, and then that person moves to senior associate or senior consultant. Uh, you know, it's possible, and I think it has happened, where a more mature worker might aspire for a role that is perceived to be uh, too junior for them, even though that person demonstrates has all the attributes of success uh, required in the job in the job description, that person is denied an opportunity to even interview because there's a perception that that person has moved beyond the role for which right. they are applying. Exactly, that's a that's a great point, right? They've moved beyond. So that they wouldn't, they might not be interested in that even, right? So they don't even mm -hmm. give them the chance. Exactly. So one of the things too that I that I came across is, you know, we we were kind of looking doing research is this apprenticeships. 
and internships to create these kind of positive employment outcomes to there's there's research on this and giving the ability to bring someone in on that kind of uh, platform first and then you're building into what that would mean from a long-term solution you know i think i think that's another way that they can get people placed into organizations that um, probably is underutilized because when you think of apprenticeships and internships again you think of something that you were going to do when you're younger like an internship you know my daughter's doing an internship so you think of those things you don't necessarily think of that of someone who's been in the in the business world for 20 years but utilize that and those kind of you know those kind of techniques I, you know, I think creativity is, is always important as you think about, I mean, we're living in a really interesting economy. Many more people are interested in gig work. Uh, you know, many more people are, are moving from job to job and organization to organization. Uh, and people are being creative about how they want to work. I think the workplace also has to be creative about how it sources its employees. Uh, you know, one of the things I think um, that would be really interesting to explore, what's the value proposition for an organization to have a mature worker in, in, their, in their group? And I think there's a lot to be said, you know, diversity of, of color, diversity of gender is, is uh, there's statistics that prove that that is really valuable, particularly in the consulting world that I work in, you know, where we're servicing clients that we, they, they want organizations that look like them. Um, I think the value proposition for organizations to include older workers is uh, the chance for, for mentorship, um, for partnering in a really rich way. I think that the benefit to older workers for working for young, with younger people is there's something sort of exciting and fresh about working with a, a more junior perspective. And I think for junior staff to have a person who's seen a lot of experience and done a lot of different things, it's that stability and mentorship and counsel uh, I think that can be a really powerful dynamic. If you're working in a one-dimensional organization that's all people who are 25 years of age, I think you miss out on interesting partnerships that can happen cross-generationally. Did you see the movie Gattaca? I did not. Okay, so very similar to Gattaca, where everyone has to, they're genetically coded, and they're produced essentially to create the society that is perfect right um and i think diversity um actually more diverse organizations i think are more successful because you have more creativity you have different perspectives and different ideas that you would not get if you have kind of group think and the same look and feel and i think there's a lot to be said you said creativity uh is i think huge uh, and then diverse backgrounds, right? Because you get, you get different perspectives that when you're looking at solutions and you're looking at decision-making, and even when you're looking at uh, improvement, which is what I do, process improvement, it certainly helps to have multiple views of a process 
because you're going to get things in that room that you wouldn't have thought of because you don't have the value of having different eyes on it. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about that. To me, I've seen most organizations that I've worked with that uh, have come to better solutions when they've had that uh, going for them. I completely agree. And so I feel like there's a couple of call to actions, you know, um, I think we've identified them for the organization is you know, even asking the question, how can I be wrong in my assessment of this candidate? Who can be a second pair of eyes to challenge my assumptions if I know that yeah. I'm leaning one way or another? Um, I think for the people in the marketplace um, and, and workers who are older in the workplace, I think we we owe it to our community to continue to pound the table really hard for ourselves. Um, and maybe that means even things like affinity groups, um, your business resource groups, you have groups um, for uh, the LGBTQ community in office places. You have um, groups that are uh, for females in the workplace. You know, I don't know what I'd want to call the group of people who are mature in the workplace, but I think um, we know that activism and change happens uh, when a group is aligned under a similar mission. So I might even advocate having employee resource groups that really reflect this particular dimension of diversity. Yeah. Um, so people have uh, a common ground and they figure out how to address the challenges that they may face in, in their own experiences. Um, I will say from my, 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 my current experience at FTI Consulting, um, I have not experienced this. Uh, in fact, I've gotten nothing but um, a, a welcoming vibe. Um, I have many peers in, who work in the HR domain who are in the similar age bracket. Uh, I find that the junior staff that I counsel uh, really um, are hungry for the mentorship and advice that I can provide to them. And there doesn't seem to be much of a divide that we have to cross with one another. So there are organizations that this is happening. Um, and that's the good news. Uh, the question is, I don't think those organizations are in the majority. No. And um, I think we have, we have some, power as a you know 20 percent of the working population uh or close to it where we really need to start raising our voices in the way that our successful peers have done um in the lgbtq communities as well as um our female counterparts and our counterparts of color well and again uh Mari, to some of your points uh this is only going to become a larger percentage so this only is going to increase in the next 10 years. So it's not, it's not going away. It's not dwindling. So that, that's a, a, a big reason to call an action. And also the flexibility piece uh, that you had brought up. You know, I want to touch on that a little bit because you know, I did a podcast on the four-day work week. I think the, the dynamic of the work environment and the ability to provide flexibility off will also be able to recruit people it's a way of recruiting people when i i had another um, hr person on with me that 
you know, he's a recruiter and he kind of similar to what you were doing, bringing in people when you can offer that to them, you're going to get different types of people because there are people that you can attract based on that. That's, that's a selling point to mm-hmm. bring, right. To bring people into the nation. And I think we need to stop uh, putting these parameters around things and start thinking differently back to the creativity because I think the organization is only going to benefit from that. Everyone wins, right? Happy employees make happy customers. And I think when you have that kind of mindset, you can expand on your capabilities and you can expand on your success as an organization by leveraging that. Uh, and I think you can't avoid it. The world is changing so fast that uh, you want to be ahead of it instead of behind it. And I think over the next 10 years, you're going to see that more and more. You, you have no choice if you want to be successful. That's the reality. It's, you know, we're not making this up. I mean, this is, these are, these are things that are going to affect everyone. So. And the, you know, the, 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 the challenge and the opportunity, I think is it's really hard to prove that somebody is ageist or not. And no one is ever going to cop to being ageist. No, I don't think anyone it's a, ever it's a really subtle bias. Yes, it is. Um, and, but I think the more we make people aware that that is potentially something that is blocking them from hiring, promoting, um, developing an individual, uh, awareness is a huge thing. And who is it on? I think it's all of us who are in that, that, 50 plus years of age, age bracket, um, who have, we've still got a lot of energy to continue working and contributing. We have to raise our voices. Uh, and I think there's an assumption that, uh, people of a certain age, we don't want to, we don't want to fill, fulfill the stereotype that people expect that we're, you know, we're we're tired. We don't have energy. We don't have zest. We don't want to fight. We're going to be, we're sort of retiring. We're giving up um, because that's not who we are. And I think that is not who I can tell you that that's not who you and I are for sure. Right. Um, We are, we are very driven um, and enthusiastic uh, that are, um, that are dedicated and committed to making an impact. and, And so maybe one of the takeaways for us is to, you know, uh, reach out to our our connections on LinkedIn and see who wants to to join us in sort of continuing conversation about ageism in uh, in the workforce. Great idea, great idea. So maybe you and I can we can talk um, offline and fantastic. You know, come yeah, because I think that's a great point. I wanted to touch on something that we haven't touched on to illustrate another point because I think this is an important statistic and I think this is where I highest impact for this ageism, um, it's the unemployed workers by age that have been unemployed for 20, 27 weeks or longer. The highest percentage at 45% is 55 to 64 years old. And I think that's where you really can see the, the heat and feel that impact uh, because of the process for which you have to go through to get hired by an organization. And that, that really struck a chord with me when I saw that number. Yeah, because, those uh, are pretty daunting certi- uh, statistics. <clears throat> yeah, it goes up. It goes up every, so <clears throat> the lowest is 16 to 19, and then it just goes up every, you know, every section category, so. And and so and any- part of that could be in, 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 in part because 
it, it is possible that people in that bracket are also looking for more elusive executive level yeah. jobs and they're maybe uh, I, a little I, bit more picky. So I think that's part of it. I Yes, I agree with you. I definitely think it's part of it, right? Because if you're by that age, you're probably looking for you, you, you were probably it's not it wouldn't be uncommon to be looking for like something at senior vice president or CEO level to your point, which would be more exclusive. So I, I think there is something to, to be said about that. Yeah, sure. But there it's still it's still kind of scary. It, it is you know? very scary. Right. So I think the call to action is great. I like your idea. Um, I think that's something you and I can certainly do. And I would love to do that. And, you know, maybe we can we can do more follow up on on this podcast uh i'm you know it's always my pleasure to get a chance to talk to you and talk with you uh i think i certainly want to do more of these with you because i think you have such a great perspective and knowledge so i want to thank you oh it's my pleasure it was really fun a nice treat at the end of the day uh and i'm gonna just wrap up if you have anything else to add uh, I think that, you want to plug anything you want sure, to sure. I'm always happy to plug. So oh. I um I have a full time wonderful job at FTI Consulting. Happy to answer any questions about what it's like to work here. I am also uh, the founder and principal of a leadership coaching practice, Nascent Leadership Coaching. Uh, if you are interested in taking your career to the next level and want to have a, a strategize with someone who's passionate about helping people take their careers to the next level, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, www.nascentcoaching.com. Excellent. So uh, lastly, as long as I can remember, I ask why and how come challenging conventional thinking. Again, I think both of us are unconventional thinkers, right? We challenge ourselves. We, we challenge others, uh, which I think is, which I think is a unique uh, point and perspective, actually, and I'm proud of that. So personally, I can help you unlock your organization's potential to implement the right solution. Always ask yourself, what are your pain points? Are you willing to do something different? And are you committed to change? I think the thing I saw on some workout gear, um, nothing changes if nothing changes. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? So you can check out my website at www dot dynamic rg.com at twitter at drg info and always remember and never forget as uh, rush from the song grand design stated so much style without substance so much stuff without style it's hard to recognize the real thing it comes along once in a while thanks again marty and uh we'll talk great soon. my pleasure all right take care